Good morning, Redemption Church. Good morning, Ben. <laughs> that was really encouraging time of worship. It's encouraging to hear us sing and worship Jesus together in that way. That last song, really, to hear our voices like lift together. It's really encouraging. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming and worshiping Jesus together and coming to proclaim Christ to one another and remember him. This morning, we're going to be uh, continuing in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and just turn there, Acts chapter 13, we're just going to be in the first three verses. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this for us. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we just thank you for this time this morning. We thank you that you've gathered us together, that we would hear the name of Jesus, that we would hear the good news of the person and work of Jesus who has torn down the walls that stood between us and you, has torn down the walls between us and each other. Father, I pray that your good news would be proclaimed, that you would say what you want said this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be moving in each one of us to have each ear hear what you'd have it hear, and that you would change our hearts, and that you would make our hearts like just worshiping hearts, that we would love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we go. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Carl Lundquist, if you don't know who he was, he was uh, once a the president of Bethel Seminary and College, and then he started a ministry called the Evangelical Order of the Burning Heart, and with that, sometimes, periodically, he'd send out these letters of inspiration and devotion to those who followed, and so he sent out one letter, and in one letter, he talked about when he first began to take fasting seriously. And so he tells the story of how he went to Korea, uh, to South Korea, to interview Dr. Jun Gon Kim. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Dr. Kim. He went to South Korea to uh, interview Dr. Kim, and Dr. Kim had uh, planned a really huge crusade uh, in South Korea, right? And he was gonna, they were expecting to be able to deliver the gospel to somewhere in the neighborhood of like a million people. So it's, it's going to be a pretty big deal. And, uh, and the story goes, Dr. Kim planned this crusade along with some others, and, uh, and then it was also a time of some political turmoil in that, in that region. And uh, the police kind of came to him and said, hey, you're planning this event. We don't think we can keep you safe. We don't think we can keep you secure. So we're going to have to shut it down. So this is about six months out. They've been planning it already for several months. So they close it down. And so Dr. Kim goes away with a few others for 40 days of fasting and prayer. And so for 40 days, they fasted and they prayed, and then they came back to Seoul, and the police found him and said, hey, we've been looking for you. We actually think we can make the thing work now. Your event's back on. And so they actually were able to host this crusade and preach the gospel to somewhere in the neighborhood of one million people. And so Dr. Lundquist, or Carl Lundquist interviewed him, got that story, and he says he went back to his hotel, and while he was in his hotel, he says, I reflected that I had never fasted like that. Like perhaps I had never desired a work of God with the same intensity. 
But Dr. Kim's body is marked by many 40-day fasts during his long spiritual leadership of God's work in Asia. He says, also, however, I haven't seen the miracles that Dr. Kim has seen. So one of the reasons we've been going through the book of Acts for the last several months and throughout this year is because we want Redemption Church to be a sending church. Like, we want to be a church that plants churches, that sends missionaries. We want to be a church that sees downtown Augusta saturated with the gospel because people are going from here leading people to Jesus. We lead people to Jesus. And not only this, we want to see Augusta. We want to see the CSRA. We want to see the whole world, right, saturated with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so our hope is that as we go through Acts, we'll learn from this early church what it looks like to be such a church. We've been following along uh, since January. and We followed this outline that we found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says that the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower them to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria, and, all, and to the ends of the earth, right? And we've been following along. We've seen them become witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And today, we're beginning our last series, which will last us about 15 weeks or so and over the summer. We're just calling it to the ends of the earth. And there's two quick things before we jump into the series, before we even jump all the way into the scripture today. There's two quick things that I've been finding as we've journeyed through this book. And the number one thing is, is we want to be ascending church, but there's no formula for this. There's no formula. It's not like I can go to some verse in here and find out the three or four things we need to do and the, the things that we just kind of, the pieces we got to put together so that the Holy Spirit would like be conjured up and move through Redemption Church. It doesn't work like that. There's no formula. And then the second thing is that we've seen it. The Holy Spirit uses the least likely people, the most unexpected people, goes to the most unexpected places, and does the most unexpected things. But he sends with intentionality those who worship Jesus. He sends with intentionality those who worship Jesus. So this morning, like, while I'm not going to call us to be fasting like Dr. Kim in order to make something happen at Redemption Church. I'm not calling us to that. I will ask you this. What does your worship of Jesus look like? How much do you desire Jesus? Like how much do you desire to see him come back? How much do you really believe that he is who he says he is and that he's going to do, has done what he said he would do and that he's going to do what he says he would do and that he's coming back and all things are being restored and reconciled and made made well and good and restored through Jesus Christ. How much do you believe that? And how much are you willing to invest in that? Like when you look at your time and your money and your affections and your energy and your allegiances and your comforts that you have in this life, how much are you willing to invest in the kingdom? How much are you investing in the kingdom of God? And I don't mean to ask those questions as like a what are you doing question. The questions are meant to be, what does your heart truly desire? What are you truly worshiping? Who are you truly worshiping? How is your life, how is your body, how is this church body marked, like Dr. Kim's body was marked, by our worship of Jesus? How are we marked by our worship of Jesus? That's my goal today. My goal is to have each of us just check our heart's true desires, to check who or what we are truly worshiping. 
and then to invite us back in to worship Jesus and worship Jesus alone. As I look at the church in Antioch over the last couple chapters, we've seen a little bit about them. As I look at the church of Antioch, its makeup and what they desire to become, I'm, I'm really reminded of like our prayer list at Redemption Church. You can find it if you've got a bulletin. It's on the back at the bottom. We've been praying a few things together. Eliza just came and prayed one of those prayers for us. And as I look at the church in Antioch, I'm very much reminded of our prayer list at Redemption Church. Like the things our prayer list say about who we want to be at Redemption Church, the things we'd like to see God do here, we see Antioch actually experience. We see it kind of be the fruit of their ministry there. So I want to look at the church in Antioch from Acts chapter 13, and we'll just look at verse 2 and 3 again. And we're just going to note a couple things about the church in Antioch. It says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. See, the church in Antioch was a sending church. They were a sending church. Before this moment, before this time in the, in the book of Acts, we haven't even seen the Holy Spirit work in this exact way. There's a lot of firsts in the book of Acts, as we've seen, and this is one of the first. Like, he's been working in unexpected places and unexpected circumstances, unexpected people doing crazy things, and everything he does, like, demands people to worship him. But here we see the Holy Spirit for the first time really, like, moving into the church and, and, and moving them to send people out on mission with intentionality, right? And I've seen, like, <laughs> I've been in ministry a little while, and I've seen it, and you've probably seen it too, where churches can have the wrong reasons for wanting to be a sending church, and people can have the wrong reasons for wanting to be sent, right? Like, churches can, most people don't start out like this, of course, but it can grow into a, we want to be the biggest, we want to be the best, we want to be the most influential. We've seen that our ways work and other people's ways don't work. It can kind of become a machine, and pretty soon it's about expanding the name of the church or expanding the name of Redemption Church, and that can be the wrong reason for sending, right, is to become something bigger and better and to glorify the name of our own thing. And then also people, we know what people are like. People can want to be sent for the wrong reasons. People want to be glorified. People want to be the hero. People want to save the day. People want a bigger platform. They want people to know them. And so, like I said, most people aren't thinking that in their heart, but we know that people can be want, want to be sent for the wrong reasons. But it's telling how the Holy Spirit sends out of the church in Antioch. He says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So the Holy Spirit comes in to a place where they're already worshiping. They were more than just a sending church at Antioch. They were a worshiping church, a worshiping church of Jesus. And I believe that the Holy Spirit loves to send worshipers of Jesus. He loves to send worshipers because worshipers get others to look at what they're worshiping. It's true no matter what you worship. It's really true no matter like how, what you value. If you value anything at all, you want to tell other people about it, right? A few weeks ago, I bought this like, Victrola horn, like a, a phonograph horn. It's just like cast iron and wood, and it's square. I bought it for like 20 bucks online. I think I got a pretty good deal. 
Maybe some of you would think I just bought a big hunk of trash. I don't know. But anyways, I had this idea when I saw it, and, I, and uh, it was just that I could put my phone, you know, build something, put my phone into it, plug the little Victrola horn into it, and then it would just blast my music through the house, right? Don't laugh. It works, right? I came home, and I, couldn't, I don't have the materials to make the thing, and I'll probably never get around to it, to be honest. But I was like, well, I can figure this out. So I put my hand around the tube, and then I put the speaker of my phone up next to that just to kind of get a nice tight seal. And my, it just was blaring everywhere through my house. It's amazing. And so now if you come to my house for dinner, some of you have been over, uh, and you've experienced this, I'm going to show you the phonograph thing. I'm going to show We could be in the middle of a conversation about you and about what you're doing with your life, and I'm going to get you up off of the couch and, and just, yeah, that's good. That's going to come with, you know, and then we're going to go see this horn, I'm going to tell you my idea, and I'm going to demonstrate how great it works, right? Because I value it. We know that this is true about just about anything. You don't even have to value it that much. If you really value something, you're going to tell other people about it. And so the Holy Spirit sends worshipers of Jesus because worshipers of Jesus are eager to show Jesus to others. It's like John Piper says, worship is the goal and fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And by that he means when we go on missions, what we're really doing is we're telling people who aren't worshiping Jesus that they're worshiping the wrong thing. And we're, making, and we're showing them Jesus and leading them to worship Jesus first. At Redemption Church, we keep praying for church planters and for missionaries. It's on this list. We keep praying for church planters and missionaries around the globe. We want to be ascending church, but again... It would be wrong of us just to be ascending church in order to make the name of redemption great or to make redemption church look like an influential, great church in some way. And so what weighs most heavy on my heart and on my mind as we consider what it means for us to be ascending church is what, what would we send out of redemption church? Because I just know that whatever we send somewhere else, is not we could take a part of this and put it over there, and it's going to be the same thing. Like whatever we replicate is going to look like us. So what are we going to send when we send? What good would it do the world if redemption replicated? Like if something of us went something somewhere else, what good would it do that neighborhood? If ascending isn't born out of true worship of Jesus, we really have nothing to offer. Right? So there's this question that just is on my heart and on my mind as I think about us becoming a church, planting church, and it's just this. Who are we, Redemption Church? Like, who are we? How are we marked by our worship of Jesus so that others look at us and see him? How are we marked as a body of Christ? How are our individual lives marked by our worship of Jesus so that others see him when they see us? There's another thing that I want us to see about the church at Antioch. First, they're ascending church. Uh, and there's a lot of other things that they are, and there's a lot of other fruit that we see out of this church because of their love for Jesus. But there's two things I think we see in this passage uh, and that we see uh, right away and that apply to us specifically, and that's that they are generous and they are diverse. Like, we know they're generous because just a couple chapters ago, uh, they, a prophet said, hey, there's going to be a famine in Judea, and we saw them make, take a collection and send Paul and Barnabas off with that collection, that offering to the church in Judea, and that's a trip that Paul and Barnabas just got back from. And in this passage, we know that they're a generous church because they're sending out Barnabas and Saul. 
Like Barnabas has already been talked about several times in Acts. People just, I mean, Luke just keeps remarking, like, man, this, this guy was holy. He was good. He was an encouraging brother, right? And we know Paul. Like, they are sending out their most valuable players, right? That's generosity. They are generous. We know that they are generous. We know that they are diverse. We know that uh, because we already have seen in the last couple chapters as we've learned a little bit about them that it's made up of Greeks and Jews, but it goes a little bit deeper than that because as we read just these first couple lines in verse 1 of chapter 13, the names he mentions, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Siren, Manean, uh, or Manean, a lifelong friend of Herod, uh, and Saul. We're talking about the prophets and teachers, the leaders of this church, we find two Jews, a Roman, and two guys from Africa, most likely. And that's not just diversity in the church. That's diversity in, like, the church lead leadership team. Like, what God has done at the church of Antioch to unite such people is a remarkable thing. I mean, this is America, the melting pot, where we're super diverse, right? And we're hard-pressed to find such diversity in any church leadership in our own culture today. There's a few, but there's not many that are diverse in their actual leadership. It's remarkable what God has done in Antioch. And at Redemption, we've been praying specifically, as Eliza just came and prayed, that we would become a church that is diverse, representative of our community and our diversity, and united by Jesus Christ. And that God would also, we've also been praying this, and that God would also provide for us financially, which requires generous giving, right? I make diversity and generosity or generosity and diversity. I, wanna, I want us to see this as one point. I'm putting them together for a reason because I've been thinking a lot about how like generosity with, that doesn't lead to diversity, I, I don't know, it just seems weak. It doesn't seem full and like a generosity that creates diversity. They're, they're bound together. And a truly generous church is bound to look more diverse. Maybe some of you are familiar with it, but there's a building that sits on 8th and Green Street. That's just right over this way, a couple blocks. Uh, it's the old First Baptist Church. Big, empty building. I believe it's even condemned at the moment. And out in front of that church stands a monument because the Southern Baptist Convention was founded it wasn't founded in that building. That building came after. Uh, but First Baptist Church was there, and that's where the Southern Baptist Convention was founded. And so there's a monument sitting right out in front that says, hey, this is where the Southern Baptist Convention was founded. Did you guys know that? Like one of the richest denominations, one of the most sending denominations started right around the corner from us. And maybe you have heard the story, maybe you haven't, if you know how the Southern Baptist Convention uh, came about. But basically, it's Old South. Uh, and the, the organization at the time, the Baptist organization at the time, didn't allow slaveholders to hold office in the organization. But a position came up, and somebody nominated a slaveholder for an office, and the organiz organization declined, said, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's against the rules, right? And so these Southern Baptist churches uh, that were already part of this bigger organization convened over here on 8th and Green, and they formed the Southern Baptist Convention so that they could nominate who they wanted to nominate, right? It's not really a beautiful story, right? And I've read 
over and over and over again the history of that thing, of that event. And there's this one paragraph that I found in the First Baptist history books. And just hear me, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bash First Baptist, okay, or anything like that. This is just in their history book, and I just want to read it to you. I just keep coming back to it. It says, the body of delegates meeting in Augusta were fired with a zealous determination that the cause of Christ should not suffer from the separation. That it did not suffer is amply proved by statistics. During the 13 years that these succeeding churches were a part of the Triennial Convention, their total gifts to the home board had been, listen, $38,656. And in the 13 years following the organization of the SBC, the total gifts for home missions amounted to $266,356. And so the claim is, is that they didn't want the cause of Christ to suffer, and so they gave even more generously, something like, what, what's that, like six to eight times more generously than they had given before, and out of a smaller group of churches, uh, probably. And so they gave even more, and so it was to show that they didn't want the cause of Christ to suffer. But I'm telling you, that's not really generosity. That's not really what was going on. And that's an old book I'm reading, so I'm not putting that on anybody else. Don't hear me say that. But that's not really generosity. What that really is, is buying a theology and paying to have a theology spread into a culture that allows you to oppress somebody else for your own wealth and your own gain. That's really what was going on there. Like I said, I'm not mad at the SBC. I'm not mad at First Baptist. There's been apologies since then, and there's great Baptist churches who are making strides towards reconciliation. But there are some huge hurdles in our culture to jump to see reconciliation happen because a lot of people in the name of generosity, with the name of Jesus stamped on it, gave a lot of money for a theology to be spread in our culture that would allow people to be oppressed. And my point is, is that we could make it a goal to be generous. We could give lots of money. We could even send lots of missionaries. But if we worship something other than Jesus, like if we worship something like our own possessions or our own wealth or our own status or our own comforts, if we worship something other than Jesus, we will really just be giving to spread a gospel that worships and glorifies something other than Christ. But gospel generosity generates diversity. Gospel generosity generates diversity. Like when we remember that Christ is all and that he gave his all for all, we will go to all in word and in deed with, like, with compassion, understanding that they have dignity and being an, a, an image bearer of God, and we will go and bring justice. That's the gospel in word and in deed. And when we do that, we will see people of all types joining the family of God. And so it makes sense that this church at Antioch is generous and diverse because the church at Antioch is filled with a bunch of people who were once outside the family of God but who have been given to generously and are now part of the family of God. And they can see that the kingdoms of the world do nothing but crush and oppress. And they can see that the kingdom of God is all about restoration and re reconciliation. And so they're all in on sending him to people who do not know him. I want Redemption Church to look a lot like Antioch. And the kind of church we are is really determined by the worshipers who go here. And this is the part 
but we could just start trying to plug and play, right? We could just start trying to plug it in. Like maybe if we would just pray harder or if we would just give a little more generously or if we would just kind of get a little diversity, right? Then maybe we could just sit and wait and the Holy Spirit would use those things and that formula and move and do something great through our church. And the Holy Spirit didn't move that way in Antioch. He didn't, like, use Antioch and move in their church because of how well they performed. And he didn't work miracles for Dr. Kim in, in, in South Korea because he outfasted everybody. And we don't have to wait for him to move at Redemption Church. The Holy Spirit is already moving, with or without us. The Holy Spirit is moving already. We don't have to wait for him to do something. We need to lean into him as he makes Christ known through us and through all people. I don't want us to plug and play. I don't want us, I don't want you and I to go and do just the things that they do. I want you and I to keep meeting Jesus the way they do. I want us to check our heart's desires and check our beliefs and look at our time and our money and our energy and our affections and our allegiance and our comforts and all those things and see, are they marked by worship of Jesus or are they marked by value and worshiping, valuing and worshiping something else. I'd like Redemption Church to look a lot like the church in Antioch in the way of sending and in the way of generosity and the way of diversity. And my hope is that like, as we go through the rest of this book of Acts over the summer, that the Holy Spirit will continue to move in us and make us more and more like that. For sure. But what I want us to see today as we begin that series is that it starts with our worship. And the question we first have to ask is, what does our worship look like? Because a church that sins while worshiping anything or anyone other than Jesus will only serve to plant a church that glorifies something other than Jesus. And a church that values generosity or diversity more than it values Jesus and more than it worships Jesus will just send a church that ends up failing at all the things it wants to do anyways and adding to the brokenness of the world and adding to the brokenness of the neighborhood or the city that they go to. So can I just invite us this morning to worship Jesus? Like I just want to invite you in to worship him, to lean into what the Holy Spirit is doing by looking to Jesus and setting our gaze on Jesus. Like can we remember that we were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light? in order that we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to others and that he would be able to make us a people who are not a people. That's what he's doing. Dallas Willard wrote of the spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines being things like prayer and fasting and meditating and journaling and and whatnot. And he wrote of the spiritual disciplines that we meet and dwell with Jesus and his Father in the disciplines for the spiritual life. And as our meeting place, the disciplines are part of the good news for a new life. We should practice them and then invite others in to join us there. So I want you to hear when we're asking you to pray these prayers and other things. We're not just asking you to do those out of duty. I want to invite you in. Can I invite you in to just come and worship Jesus as we pray these prayers? Like it's a... It's a place for us to set our gaze on him. There's good news in praying these prayers. Because I want to invite you in to worship Jesus and to pray these prayers with intensity. 
intensity. Not just because we want our church to look and do better, right? But because we really believe that Jesus is coming back and that Jesus is all we need and that Jesus is all we could ever want. And so we pray these, pray these prayers because we believe that at the end of those prayers, when he answers them, that means Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, you can pray these prayers also with like a forward memory. Because we, as, as the Bible tells us, the victory is already won. And the plan is already set. And it's already going to happen. You can pray them with a forward memory that Jesus is going to come back. And that Jesus is going, when he comes back, is going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And in that reality, there's not going to be tears. There's not going to be brokenness. There's not going to be racism. There's not going to be other divisions amongst people. Things will be set right. Jesus is coming back. And the victory is already sure. And we can pray with that memory. And we can set our eyes on Jesus and think, what a kingdom that would be. What a kingdom that is because it's a reality. And what a king we worship who has done something that everybody wants to do. Every policy, every government, everybody's trying to make, it doesn't work. It fails without Jesus. But what a king we worship. So I just want to invite you in to worship Jesus together as we pray these prayers. Knowing that all that is coming is a sure thing and that he's won the victory. And I also want to invite you to come along in the work that he's doing, to be, come along as ministers and ambassadors of, the, of reconciliation. I believe we're all invited by Jesus to come along because that's our created purpose. Our created purpose is to glorify God and to make him known and to enjoy him forever, and to enjoy making him known forever. That's what we're called to do. So I invite you to worship him in word and in deed as you go and make him known. And then this last Part of it. It says that they worship. They were worshiping and fasting, and it's not just a call to fasting. But I do know this: knowing Jesus and worshiping Jesus with all of our life tastes better than food, and it tastes better than anything else that we could worship or value. Like worshiping Jesus is better than anything else, and so some. Rhythms of fasting as we pray, as an act of like setting our gaze on Jesus and telling him we believe that you have something better for us. We believe even this meeting place is good news because I can hear your voice. Maybe fasting from food or for something else that you feel is not marked by Jesus is a place where you can meet the Holy Spirit and hear the voice of God as he directs you and challenges you with your time and your energy and money and affections, allegiances and comforts, and asks you, are they marked by Jesus? And I know this, too, like when we pray and where we meet the Holy Spirit there, he has good news for us, and he'll challenge us in those places, and he'll give us a better way. He'll check our checkbook and things like that, not because we have to do better and try harder, right, but because there's something better for us. He has something better for us, and so I just... I want to invite you in to fast and to pray and to worship Jesus and just see what kind of good news is there for you and what kind of good news is there for the church. I want us to be something like the church at Antioch at Redemption Church, but it's not really about who they sent 
or where they sent them or how much they gave or how fast they spread or how many people got baptized or how well they fasted or anything of that nature. I just want us to look like a people who are enamored with Jesus, who are totally in love with Jesus, who are marked by him, like Dr. Kim's body was marked by fasting, and who are worshiping Jesus and totally given over to telling others, both in word and deed, how truly great he is and how excellent his reign is and how great his kingdom is and inviting people to come in and be a part of it. I want us to be generous. I want us to be sending. I want us to be diverse because we worship Jesus. We're going to move into a time of response, and as we do that, it's just a time for us to consider even those things, like sit and reflect and pray even now. Where are you marked by your worship of Jesus? Who are you truly worshiping? What are you truly worshiping? All right? It's a time the band will come up and they'll lead us in a time of uh, worship and music and a time where we can even begin to stand and sing and praise God together and worship him together. We've already begun to do that earlier, and it's beautiful. Um, And it's also a time where you can worship him in your giving. We have a tithe and offering back in the back, tithe and offering basket in the back where you can give as an act of worship. And then every Sunday we also take communion together. So you'll come down, uh, come down the side aisles, and we'll go on this one or this one, and you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the wine or the juice, and when we do this, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're proclaiming to one another that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do, and that the victory is already won, and that we can worship him and worship him alone, right? And that he's come for us. He's come to forgive us and save us and make us new. So we remember him, we proclaim him to one another. And so we invite you to come and take with us and and be a part of that, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, as long as you're a believer in Christ. And if you're not a believer, we ask you not to take, not because we don't want you to be a part of it. We do want you to be a part of it. But would you hear what we're saying in something you're not able to say at the moment? Jesus loves you that much that he died and that he rose again to give you new life and to set you free from what has you captive. And would you even take him today? And if you would like to pray with somebody, you can get, grab me or you can grab somebody else, and there's usually somebody to pray with back at the back table there as well, and we'd love to talk to you. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we'll move into that time. Our Father, I just thank you again for gathering us, your people, together today to worship Jesus, to make Christ great in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your great love for your your creation. We thank you for all that you are doing and and have done. We thank you for just advancing the gospel even into our own hearts. And I pray that you would fill us up, that you would continue to change us, continue to lead us to worship Jesus more and more in, in all of life so that it would come out in word and deed, that we would be sending people, that we would be generous givers, that we would become diverse because we would go to all people with the good news that Jesus Christ came for all people and died for all people and has forgiven all people who would believe in him. Lord, I pray that you would open the doors for the gospel to go forth from this place as you've opened doors for the gospel to go forth in our own hearts. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name.